0: part 1 chapter 2 of little eve edgerton this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org little eve edgerton by eleanor hallowell abbott part 1 chapter 2 when barton recovered the severed parts of his consciousness again and tried to pull them together, he found that the present was strangely missing. The past and the future, however, were perfectly plain to him. He was a young stockbroker. He remembered that quite distinctly, and just as soon as the immediate dizzy mystery had been cleared up he would, of course, be a young stockbroker again. But between this snug conviction as to the past, this smug assurance as to the future, His mind lay tugging and shivering, like a man under a split blanket. Where in creation was the present? Alternately, he tried to yank both past and future across the chilly interim. There was a green-and-white piazza corner, vaguely his memory reminded him. Never again. Some latent determination leapt to mock him. And there had been some sort of an argument with a drollish old man concerning all homely girls in general and one very specially homely little girl in particular. And the very specially homely little girl in particular had turned out to be the old man's daughter. Never again his original impulse hastened to reassure him, and there had been a horseback ride with the girl. Oh yes, out of some strained sense of, of parental humour, there had been a forced horseback ride. And the weather had been, hot and black, and then suddenly very yellow, yellow. Yellow, dizzily the world began to whir through his senses, a prism of light, a fume of sulphur, yellow. Yellow. What was yellow? What was anything? What was anything? Yes, that was just it. What was anything? Whimperingly like a dream-dazed dog, the soul of him began to shiver with fear. O ye gods! If returning consciousness would only manifest itself first by some indisputable proof of a still undisintegrated body, some crisp reassuring method of outlining one's corporeal edges some sensory roll call, as it were, of head, hands, feet, sides, but out of oblivion, out of space abysmal, out of sensory annihilation, to come vaporing back, back, back. Headless, armless, legless, trunkless, conscious only of consciousness, uncertain yet whether the full awakening prove itself, this world or the next as sacred of heaven, as of hell, as. Then, very, very slowly, with no realization of eyelids, with no realization of lifting his eyelids, Barton began to see things, and he thought he was lying on the soft outer edges of a gigantic black pansy, staring blankly through its glowing golden center into the droll, sketchy little face Of the pansy and then suddenly with a jerk that seemed almost to crack his spine he sensed that the blackness wasn't a pansy at all but just a round earthy sort of blackness in which he himself lay mysteriously prone and he heard the wind still roaring furiously away off somewhere and he heard the rain still drenching and sousing away off somewhere but no wind seemed to be tugging directly at him and no rain seemed to be splashing directly on him. And instead of the cavernous golden crater of a supernatural pansy, there was just a perfectly tame yellow farm-lantern, balanced adroitly on a low stone in the middle of the mysterious round blackness. And, in the sallow glow of that pleasant lantern-light, little Eve Edgerton sat cross-legged, on the ground with a great pulpy clutter of rain-soaked magazines spread out all around her like a giant's pack of cards, and diagonally across her breast, from shoulder to waistline, her little gray flannel shirt hung gashed into innumerable ribbons. To Barton's blinking eyes she looked exceedingly strange and untidy but nothing seemed to concern little Eve Edgerton except that spreading circle of half-drowned paper. "'For heaven's sake, wha—what are you do?' mumbled Barton. Out from her flickering aura of yellow lantern light, little Eve Edgerton peered forth quizzically into Barton's darkness. "'Why, I'm trying to save my poor dear books,' she drawled what struggled barton the word dragged on his tongue like a weight of lead what he persisted desperately where for heaven's sake what's the matter with us solicitously little eve edgarton lifted a soggy magazine page to the lantern's warm curving cheek why where in my cave she confided in my very own cave you know that i was headed for All the time. We got sort of struck by lightning, she just started to explain. We struck by lightning, gasped Barton. Mentally, he started to jump up, but physically nothing moved. My God, I'm paralyzed, he screamed. Oh, no, really, I don't think so, crooned little Eve Edgerton. With the faintest possible tinge of reluctance, she put down her papers, picked up the lantern, and, crawling over to where Barton lay, sat down cross-legged again on the ground beside him, and began with mechanically alternate fist and palm to rub-a-dub-dub and thump-thump-thump and stroke-stroke-stroke across his utterly helpless body. "'Oh, of course, you've had an awfully close call,' she drummed resonantly upon his apathetic chest. "'But I've seen three lightning people.' "'A lot worse off than you,' she kneaded reassuringly into his insensate neck-muscles. "'And they came out of it, all right, after a few days.' She slept mercilessly into his faintly, conscious sides. Very slowly, very sluggishly, as his circulation quickened again, a horrid suspicion began to stir in Barton's mind, but it took him a long time to voice a suspicion in anything as loud and public as words, Miss Edgerton, he plunged at last quite precipitately, Miss Edgerton, do I seem to have any shirt on? No, you don't seem to exactly, Mr. Barton conceded little Eve Edgerton, and your skin from head to foot, Barton's whole body strained and twisted. "'in a futile effort to raise himself to at least one elbow. "'Why, I'm stripped to my waist,' he stammered in real horror. "'Why, yes, of course,' drawled little Eve Edgerton. "'And your skin?' "'Imperturbably, as she spoke, she pushed him down flat on the ground again, "'and began, with her hands edged vertically like two slim boards, "'to slash little blissful gashes of consciousness and pain,' into his frigid right arm. "'You see, I had to take both your shirts,' she explained, "'and what was left of your coat, and all of my coat, "'to make a soft, strong rope to tie round or under your arm "'so the horse could drag you.' "'Did the roan drag me way up here?' groaned Barton a bit hazily. "'With the faintest possible gasp of surprise, "'little Eve Edgerton stopped slashing his arm,' and picked up the lantern, flashed it disconcertingly across his blinking eyes and naked shoulders. "'The rowans are in heaven,' she said, quite simply. "'It was Mother's horse that dragged you up here.' As casually as if he had been a big doll, she reached out one slim brown finger and drew his underlip a little bit down from his teeth. "'My, but you're still blue,' she confided frankly. I guess perhaps you'd better have a little more vodka. Again, Barton struggled vainly to raise himself on one elbow. V vodka? he stammered. Again, the lifted lantern light flashed disconcertingly across his face and shoulders. Why, don't you remember anything? drawled little Eve Edgerton. Not anything at all. Why, I must have worked over you two hours. Artificial respiration, you know, and all that sort of thing before I even got you up here. My, but you're heavy. She reproached him frowningly. Men ought to stay just as light as they possibly can, so when they get into trouble and things, it would be easier for women to help them. Why last year in the China Sea, with father and five of his friends? A trifle shiveringly she shrugged her shoulders. Oh well, never mind about father in the China Sea, she retracted soberly. It's only that I'm so small, you see, and so flexible, I can crawl around most anywhere through portholes and things, even if they're capsized. So we only lost one of them, one of father's friends, I mean, and I never would have lost him if he hadn't been so heavy. Ours? gasped Barton irrelevantly. With a right twist of his neck, he peered out through the darkness to where the freshening air the steady monotonous slosh 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 of rain the pale intermittent flare of stale lightning proclaimed the opening of the cave for heaven's sake wha what time is it he faltered why i'm sure i don't know said little eve edgarton but i should guess it might be about eight or nine o'clock are you hungry with infinite agility she scrambled to her knees and went darting off on all fours like a squirrel into some mysterious clattery corner of the darkness from which she emerged at last with one little gray flannel arm crooked inclusively around a whole elbow full of treasure there she drawled there 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 only the soft earthy thud that accompanied each there pointed the slightest significance to the word the first thud was a slim queer stone flag of a vodka wanly like some far pinnacle on some far Russian fortress, its grim shape loomed in the sallow lantern light. The second thud was a dust-colored basket of dates from some green-spotted Arabian desert. Vaguely its soft curving outline merged into shadow and turf. The third thud was a battered old drinking cup, dully silver, mysteriously Chinese the fourth thud was a big glass jar of frankly american beef familiarly reassuringly its sleek sides glinted in the flickering flame supper announced little eve edgarton as tomboyishly as a miniature brigand she crawled forward again into the meagre square of lantern-tinted earth and, yanking a revolver out of one boot-leg, and a pair of scissors from the other, settled herself with unassailable girlishness to jab the delicate scissor-points into the stubborn tin-top of the meat-jar. As though the tin had been his own flesh, the act goaded Barton half upright into the light, a brightly naked young viking to the waist— "'a vaguely shadowed equestrian fashion-plate to the feet. "'Well, I certainly never saw anybody like you before,' he glowered at her. "'With equal gravity, but infinitely more deliberation, "'little Eve Edgerton returned the stare. "'I never saw anybody like you before, either,' she said enigmatically. "'Barton winced back into the darkness.' oh i say he stammered i wish i had a coat i feel like a like a why why droned little eve edgarton perplexedly out from the yellow heart of the pansy blackness her small grave gnomish face peered after him with pristine frankness why why i think you look nice said little eve edgarton With a really desperate effort, Barton tried to clothe himself in facetiousness, if in nothing else. "'Oh, very well,' he grinned feebly. "'If you don't mind, there's no special reason, I suppose, why I should.' Vaguely, blurishly, like a figure on the wrong side of a stained-glass window, he began to loom up again into the lantern light. There was no embarrassment, certainly, about his hunger— nor any affectation at all connected with his thirst. Chokingly from the battered silver cup he gulped down the scorching vodka. Ravenously he attacked the salty meat, the sweet cloying dates. Watching him solemn-eyed from her own intermittent nibbles, the girl spoke out quite simply the thought that was uppermost in her mind. This supper'll come in mighty handy, won't it, if we have to be out here all night, Mr. Barton? If we have to be out here all night, faltered Barton. Oh, ye gods! If just their afternoon ride together had been hotel talk, as of course it was within five minutes after their departure, what would their midnight return be? Or rather, their non-return? Already through his addled brain he heard the monotonous creak-creak of rocking-chair gossip, the sly jests of the smoking room, the whispered excitement of the kitchen, all the sophisticated old-worldlings hoping indifferently for the best, all the unsophisticated old-prudes yearning ecstatically for the worst. "'If we have to stay out here all night,' he repeated wildly, "'Oh, what!' "'Oh, what will your father say, Miss Edgerton?' "'What will father say?' drawled little Eve Edgerton. Thuddingly she set down the empty beef-jar. "'Oh, father'll say—' "'What in creation is Eve out trying to save tonight? "'A dog, a cat, a three-legged deer?' "'Well, what do you expect to save?' quizzed Barton a bit tartly. "'Just you?' acknowledged little eve edgarton without enthusiasm and isn't it funny she confided placidly that i've never yet succeeded in saving anything that i could take home with me and keep that's the trouble with boarding in a vague gold-colored flicker of appeal her lifted face flared out again into barton's darkness too fugitive to be called a smile a tremor of reminiscence went scudding across her mouth before the brooding shadow of her old slouch hat blotted out her features again in india once persisted the dreary little voice in india once when father and i were going into the mountains for the summer there was a-there was a sort of faker at one of the railway stations doing tricks with a crippled tiger cub a tiger cub with a shot off paw and when father wasn't looking I got off the train and went back, and I followed that fakir two days till he just naturally had to sell me the tiger cub. He couldn't exactly have an English woman following him indefinitely into indistinctness. But the people at the hotel were-were indifferent to him, she rallied whisperingly, and I had to let him go. You got off a train-in India alone? "'snapped Barton, and went following a dirty, sneaking faker for two days. "'Well, of all the crazy, indiscreet—' "'Indiscreet?' mused little Eve Edgerton. "'Again, out of the murky blackness, her tilted chin caught up the flare of yellow lantern light. "'Indiscreet,' she repeated monotonously. "'Who? I?' "'Yes, you,' grunted Barton, traipsing around all alone after—' "'But I never am alone, Mr. Barton,' protested the mild little voice. "'You see, I always have the extra saddle, the extra railway ticket, the extra whatever it is.' And, and caressingly, a little gold-tipped hand reached out through the shadows and patted something indistinctly metallic. "'My mother's memory? My father's revolver?' She drawled. "'Why, what better company could any girl have?' "'Indiscreet?' Slowly she, the tip of her little nose tilted up into the light. "'Why, down in the Transvaal, two years ago,' she explained painstakingly, "'why, down in the Transvaal, two years ago, they called me the best chaperoned girl in Africa.' "'Indiscreet? Why, Mr. Barton, I never even saw an indiscreet woman in all my life. Men, of course, are indiscreet sometimes,' she conceded conscientiously. Down in the Transvaal, two years ago, I had to shoot up a couple of men for being a little bit indiscreet, but in one jerk Barton raised himself to a sitting posture. You shot up a couple of men? he demanded peremptorily. Through the crook of a mud-smeared elbow shoving back the sudden brim of her hat, the girl glanced toward him like a vaguely perplexed little ragamuffin. It was messy, she admitted softly. Out from her snarl of storm-blown hair, tattered, battered by wind and rain, she peered up suddenly with her first frowning sign of self-consciousness. "'If there's one thing in the world that I regret,' she faltered deprecatingly, "'it's—it's a—it's an untidy fight.' Altogether, violently, Barton burst out laughing. There was no mirth in the laugh, but just noise. "'Oh, let's go home,' he suggested hysterically. "'Home?' faltered little Eve Edgerton. With a sluggish sort of defiance, she reached out and gathered the big wet scrapbook to her breast. Why, Mr. Barton, she said, we couldn't get home now in all this storm and darkness and, and washout to save our lives, but even if it were moonlight, she sing and starlight and high noon, even if there were chariots at the door, I'm not going home now till I've finished my scrapbook if it takes a week. "'Eh?' jerked Barton. "'What?' Laborously he edged himself forward. For five hours now of reckless writing, of storm and privation, through death and disaster, the girl had clung tenaciously to her books and papers. What in creation was in them? "'For heaven's sake, Miss Edgerton,' he began. "'Oh, don't fuss so,' said little Eve Edgerton. "'It's nothing but my paper-doll book.' Your paper-doll book, stammered Barton. With another racking effort, he edged himself even farther forward. Miss Edgerton, he asked quite frankly, are you crazy? No, but very determined, drawled little Eve Edgerton. With unruffled serenity, she picked up a pulpy magazine page from the ground in front of her and handed it to him. And it would greatly facilitate matters, Mr. Barton, she confided, if you would kindly begin drying out some papers against your side of the lantern. What? gasped Barton. Very gingerly he took the pulpy sheet between his thumb and forefinger. It was a full-page f- picture of a big gas range, and slowly as he scanned it for some hidden charm or value it split in two and fell soggily back to its mates. Once again, for sheer nervous relief, he burst out laughing. Out of her diminutiveness, out of her leanness, out of her extraordinary litheness, little Eve Edgerton stared up speculatively at Barton's great hulking helplessness. Her hat looked humorous. Her hair looked humorous, her tattered flannel shirt was distinctly humorous, but there was nothing humorous about her set little mouth. "'If you laugh,' she threatened, "'I'll tip you over backward again and trample on you.' "'I believe you would,' said Barton, with a sudden sobriety more packed with mirth than any laugh he had ever laughed. "'Well, I don't care.' conceded the girl a bit sheepishly. Everybody laughs at my paper doll book. Father does. Everybody does. When I'm rearranging their old mummy collections and and cataloging their old South American birds or shining up their old geological specimens, they think I'm wonderful. But when I try to do the teeniest, tiniest thing that happens to interest me, they call me crazy. So that's why I come way out here into this cave to play, she whispered with a flicker of real shyness. In all the world, she confided, this cave is the only place I've ever found where there wasn't anybody to laugh at me. Between her placid brows, a vindictive little frown blackened suddenly. "'That's why it wasn't specially convenient, Mr. Barton, to have you ride with me this afternoon,' she affirmed. "'That's why it wasn't specially convenient to— to have you struck by lightning this afternoon.' Tragically, with one small brown hand, she pointed toward the great water-soaked mess of magazines that surrounded her. "'You see,' she mourned, "'I've been saving them up all summer to cut out, to-day, and now—' "'Now we're sailing for Melbourne Saturday,' she added conclusively. "'Well, really,' stammered Barton, "'well, truly.' "'Well, of all damned things, why, what do you want me to do?' "'Apologize to you for having been struck by lightning?' His voice was fairly righteous with astonishment and indignation. Then, quite unexpectedly, one side of his mouth began to twist upward in the faintest perceptible sort of a real grin. "'When you smile like that you're quite pleasant,' murmured little Eve "'Is that so?' grinned Barton. "'Well, it wouldn't hurt you to smile just a tiny bit now and then.' wouldn't it said little eve edgarton thoughtfully for a moment with her scissors poised high in the air she seemed to be considering the suggestion then quite abruptly again she resumed her task of prying some pasted object out of her scrapbook oh no thank you mr barton she decided i'm much too bored all the while to do any smiling bored snapped barton staring perplexedly into her dreary meek little face something deeper something infinitely subtler than mere curiosity wakened precipitately in his consciousness for heaven's sake miss edgarton he stammered from the arctic ocean to the south seas if you've seen all the things that you must have seen if you've done all the things that you must have done why should you look so bored flutteringly the girl's eyes lifted and fell why i'm bored mr barton drawled little eve edgarton i'm bored because i'm sick to death of seeing all the things i've seen i'm sick to death of doing all the things i've done with little metallic snips of sound she concentrated herself and her scissors suddenly upon the mahogany colored picture of a pianola well what do you want quizzed barton in a sullen turgid sort of defiance The girl lifted her sombre eyes to his. "'I want to stay home, like other people, and have a house,' she wailed. "'I want a house, and the things that go with a house. A cat, and the things that go with a cat. Kittens, and the things that go with kittens. Saucers of cream, and the things that go with saucers of cream. Ice chests, and, and...' Surprisingly, into her languid sing-song tone, broke a sudden note of passion. "'Bah!' she snapped. Think of going all the way to India just to plunge your arms into spooky foamy ganges and make a wish. What do you wish? asks father. Please, a Chessy Puss. I wish it was a soap set in my own wash-tub, or gallivanting down to British Guinea just to smell the great blowsy water lilies in the canals. I'd rather smell burnt crackers in my own cook-stove. But you'll surely have a house sometime, argued Barton with real sympathy. Quite against all intention, the girl's unexpected emotion disturbed him a little. Every girl gets a house. Sometime, he insisted resolutely. No, I don't think so, mused Eve Edgerton, judicially. You see, she explained, <coughs> with a soft, slow deliberation, you see, Mr. Barton, only people who live in houses No people who live in houses. If you're a nomad, you meet only nomads campers mate just naturally with campers and ocean travelers with ocean travelers and red velvet hotel dwellers with red velvet hotel dwellers oh of course if mother had lived it might have been different she added a trifle more cheerfully for of course if mother had lived i should have been pretty she asserted calmly or interesting looking anyway mother would surely have managed it somehow and i should have had a lot of bows Young men bows, I mean, like you. Father's friends are all so gray. Oh, of course I shall marry sometime, she continued evenly. Probably I'm going to marry the British consul at He He's a great friend of father's, and he wants me to help him write a book on the geologic relationship of Melanesia to the Australian continent. Dully, her voice rose to its monotone. But I don't suppose we shall live in a house? she moaned apathetically. At the best it will probably be only a musty room or two up over the consulate, and more likely than not it won't be anything at all except a nipa hut and a typewriter table. End of Part 1 Chapter 2